Straw Hats with Rabbi Neatly of Sarna and Rabbi David Wolkenfeld. We are the official podcast of Anshe Sholem B'nai Israel Congregation, an Orthodox synagogue in the Lakeview neighborhood of Chicago, Illinois. So this podcast episode is being recorded early. Uh, today is July 14th, which is a, a special day in the history of Anshe Sholem, a special day in the history of this podcast. Um, would you share what's special about July 14th? Not in a good way. It's the last day of my contract with the show. Wow. So um, I guess congratulations on serving out your contract uh, with, with great effectiveness and uh, with, with just tremendous impact on this community. And uh, thank you so much for serving the shul um, so diligently and, and with such uh, effective hard work, such passion. And uh, so this this podcast is sort of like, uh, it's like an exit interview. I wanted to uh, have a chance uh, to offer uh, just some reflections, uh, to hear some reflections from you on your time at the shul and uh, and uh, the podcast, uh, Please God, will continue with uh, with other guests and other hosts. Uh, and uh, your career has a, a certain, a very bright uh, future, but this is going to be a, a, a shift uh, in your professional relationship with the congregation. And I sort of wanted to take advantage of having you on our staff uh, just for a few more hours to record <laughs> another, another podcast. Um, so I, I think one of the first times that we met, it was at a wedding on the East Coast uh, that I was officiating. You were a, a friend of the bride and groom. And at that time, you were a student at Shabbat Maharat, and you were discussing uh, your studies and discussing your plans. And I think I said something like, oh, when you graduate, you know, like maybe uh, give me a call. Maybe we can find some role for you at, at our shul. And your response was, I have no interest in uh, working for you. I, I want to have my own shul, you know, and found my own organization and start something new, not network for someone else. And uh, that was, I thought, a very bold response. And I was really happy that you reconsidered when you applied for the position at our shul. So maybe share a little bit. What, what was it that, that drew you to our congregation in particular, or really just to working, um, you know, not, at, not, not, not plunging in and starting your own uh, community uh, right out of school? Okay, so I mean, there's a few factors. Um, what, so at the time, my sense was um, there are loads of women out there who work um, for men and who kind of never rise above those positions, like just stuck in like junior positions forever. And I sort of felt like eh, that's not for me. Like <laughs> it's not for me to like end up in some dead end position where I'm like stuck as number two perpetually. Um, I really like being allowed to call the shots um, and being the one who has all the philosophy and the vision and the whatever, and, and other people can like do my bidding. Um, and, and my sense was like, if I worked for someone else, then I would like it. It would be comfortable. They would like pay me lots of money and it would be hard to leave and take a risk and build something from nothing where that can be like really scary. And um and if you're comfortable, it's hard to do scary things, particularly as you get older and have a family. And so my my hope had been at the time to like really never like get stuck in in, in the trap of working for other people. Um, over time, over my my four years in the yeshiva, that really shifted as I realized that there are all sorts of practical skills that are part of this work that I couldn't learn in school. So really, kind of basic things like how to do funerals, how to officiate at life cycle events. Um, you can't, you can't really learn. You can like practice, you know, like in school we would, we would, in a homiletics class, we would like write eulogies and, um, and present them to each other. But like, that's really not the same, <laughs> um, as, um, you know, as like 
a real life person who has passed away um, and, and a family that you're trying to comfort and hold and, um, and things like that. So that kind of drew me to a feeling that I needed a, a what I would term at the time like a residency. You know, like doctors go to medical school and then after medical school, they continue their education, but like full time in a hospital setting with like real life patients. Um, and, and that was very much how I thought about this job up and up until now, like a real sense that that this has been a residency and, and, a, and a fabulous one. Um, and and just like, you know, uh the young young residents learn from excellent attendings so so i that's what i was looking for i was looking for an excellent attending <laughs> and um that is what i found in you um and i'm very very grateful for for the attention that that you've given me and 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 the opportunities that the show has given me both in terms of growing the like normal skill set that clergy need to have in terms of following people through the life cycle, pastoral issues, but also management things, going to board meetings, sitting in on committees, um, learning about the finances of, of the shawl, learning how shawls fundraise, things like that, um, that, that you can kind of think about in abstract, but it's it's not the same as, as being part of it in real life. Um, and so that's what I was really hoping to get out of my time at ASBI. I think when I came in, I, I, I said to, to you or to other people that, that like the ideal amount of time for something like that in this kind of career is probably something on the order of five years. Um, and that had kind of been the intention. Um, and five years would be great. Yeah, that would have been, would have been <laughs> fine. Um, and that did not happen because of the realities of my family. But I think I think that would have been a way that, like, one of the things that I think is sad is that, um, unlike doctor, you know, like there, there's that analogy fails at a certain extent because, uh, you know, residents in a hospital treat someone and then they get healthy and then they leave, um, and then that's the end of your relationship with that patient. Um, and uh, you know, in a show, the relationships you grow with individuals and families. Are the the joy of it is that they're ongoing. They're they're through thick and thin. You're, they're not just like when I when I did um I did a summer of chaplaincy of hospital chaplaincy and and I realized that like I I really didn't want to be that rabbi who's like only around for the worst day of your life. Like I want to be around on the best day of your life also and on the normal days of your life. <laughs> and in two years you you just fall into a rhythm with that and you just establish these like beautiful and deep relationships with people and then you're like okay bye leaving now. And during a pandemic, it's not just okay. Bye, leaving now. It's like I feel like I'm I'm like sneaking off in the middle of the night, like <laughs> without even really a good way to say goodbye and give people a hug and and remind you that I like really care about our relationships and they're real. Um, and I hope that they continue. If it's any consolation, I, I can confirm that that when there are relationships that are impactful and significant and built around. Um, sharing powerful moments and sharing powerful experiences, those relationships um, can be formed even in a year or two and can last uh, for many years. I've sort of seen that from uh, like the earliest stages of my career, people who um, were juniors or seniors uh, at Princeton when we moved there. And so we were had this professional relationship for just a year or two. Uh, people who lived in Lakeview um, and then left after I was here for just one year. So we shared this community maybe for only a year or two uh, before they moved on. And, and a number of those people have remained in, in touch with me and, and I treasure those relationships. So I, yeah. I have every confidence that the <laughs> people who have been important to you and for whom you have been really important to them and their religious lives and their lives here in this community, that those people will be a part of your life and you will be a part of their life uh, into the future. Please, God. 
Could you share a bit about what you found in this community? I, I, I you know, in my own like life as an intern and, and my professional life, I, I, like every community is is unique in its own special way. And I think that's actually one of the values of having internships and working in different communities, visiting even, uh, you know, visiting in an intentional way, in a paying attention way, is that you just learn how every community is unique. And then in every future community where you have a, a role to play in, in shaping that community, you can draw upon, uh, oh, like in, you know, in Houston, uh, they, they did it this way. And in Camp Mill, they did it this way. And in Manhattan, it was done in this other way. And, and you have more experiences, a broader palette to kind of select from when trying to shape some future community or thinking about responses to a to a challenge or an opportunity. So like, could you, I don't know, what have you found here? Could you characterize uh, this community and what what's, um, what surprised you and, and what, um, what maybe you'll be taking with you in, in any community you hope to influence in the future? Oh, I think there are so many things. And I really like what you're saying about how, how you experience different communities and from each one you kind of find good things that you sort of pocket as ideas for for the future. Um, before I was here, I worked for two years at the Humor Institute of White Plains. I interned at Harvard Hillel. I interned at the National Synagogue in D.C. Um, and I I was on the scholar residence circuit pretty aggressively also. So that took me, you know, all around the world, um, teaching in different communities in Australia and in England and Israel and um, and all across the United States. And uh and there are certain things that actually are really unique and that ASBI does particularly well. So the top of that list is um, something that I actually, when I was uh, 36 under 36, I tried to like articulate this in, in some of their their questions about, about the future of, of Chicago, that the presence and power that is given to um, post-college young professionals in our community is really special. Actually, when I was an undergrad, I went to a Shabbaton organized by the OU um, where they were thinking about this question. They were like, undergrads have a lot of power and take a lot of leadership in their own communities. And then they graduate and they're at the total bottom of the food chain. And actually, that's a really awful experience for a lot of people. And that leads to them not actually joining synagogues and not actually becoming part of like the institutional community going forward, or at least not for a long time. Um, and I think ASBI does an amazing job of engaging people kind of at a, at a, you know, a young age in their adulthood and saying, yeah, like come, you know, be a, a, on the young professionals committee, be on the YP committee. And then, um, members of the YP committee have a straight shot into the board. And then if you like are good at that, great, like be the, you know, vice president for education. And now you're a member of the executive committee and you're calling shots at the highest level and you're like in your twenties. Um, and that's extremely unusual, but probably, you know, like, like there's so much money in the, in the Jewish community being poured into exactly that space of like post-college twenties, thirties, and so much kind of creativity of like, how do we engage these people and let's invent a whole new kind of rabbi and a whole new kind of institution. And ASBI says, we don't need a whole new kinds of institutions. We just need to welcome younger people into the old kinds of institutions and they'll feel more dignified and more welcome. And it really works. Um, and that's just like, amazing like <laughs> um and something that that this show is like such a such a model of um you know like one of the biggest puzzles that the institutional jewish community is trying to figure out like seamlessly works in our show 
Well, that's a great observation. I think it's something that attracted us uh, here as well. We came here straight from working on campus, and it seemed like a like a very um, like sort of natural next step for us uh, as as you know to be um, again having fostering student leadership on campus and to be um, supporting a Jewish community for undergrads and grad students to then uh, come to this shul where that that segment of the demographic is such a core constituency and so active. Uh, and and really well integrated indeed into the, like the highest levels of leadership of the shul. So that's that's uh, that's absolutely um, true. Yeah, um, um, I have so many things to say. Okay, <laughs> so the next thing I would say is that um, when you and I before I started at the shul, you and I were kind of coming up with like tasks and goals and uh, and a whole like you know like metrics by which like my successes here might be judged or whatever. And um, one of the things that I was like pretty adamant about is that I wanted space to innovate. Um, I wanted opportunities to look at issues that the show was facing or challenges or whatever and try out like weird things. Um, and you were open to that. And I, and I think the people you were working with on the, you know, like the the board side of it, I think were open to it too. And, and that was something that, that really um, excited me about this job. And some of the, you know, some of my inventions such as this one, the podcast, um, I think it's been really wildly successful. <laughs> um, and uh, and it's kind of weird, right? Like not not very many shows have like boutique podcasts, um, but um, it came out of like just like some a suggestion or like a thought that someone shared with me and you. And then the number of sheer number of conversations I had with congregants about podcasts that they and I were both listening to and, and a feeling like, yeah, let's, let's try this because um, there's a desire for more adult education that's more accessible and that people can listen to and access anywhere. Um, and so this was like a medium that felt exciting to explore. And that's just one example, meaning all of the like youth education stuff that that uh, I've had the opportunity to put together, uh, some of the women's programming stuff that, you know, put together. Like there's just a lot of openness to like, cool, let's like try this new thing and see if it works. Um, and not everything that we've tried has been like a wild success. Um, I was more hopeful about our bespoke shurian than I think that actually didn't, I mean, there was no, you know, it didn't cost anyone anything, but, but I don't think it's been as successful as I might've dreamed. Is the opposite of a, is the opposite of a wild success. Tepid success, success. Yeah, tepid success. <laughs> um, and, uh, but, but whatever, like, but, but this general feeling of like, there was a synagogue that I um, interviewed with and I didn't get, I didn't get a position there. And the reason why they said is because you kept talking about change and innovation that's not what we're about <laughs> and i was like cool we're not a good match and, and what's amazing is that we're a synagogue we're an old synagogue with a proud history that we draw on and celebrate all the time but we don't let that proud history hold us back from trying out new things and that's a really special balance that um that i think you know like it's unusual to say like, yes, we're the straw hat synagogue and we have this kind of founding story and we trace back to Marian Paul and we have our own, you know, and, 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 and we keep it in these, in these like beautiful ways, like the, the tune that the Kohanim use, um, that, that that's like our shtick and, and like that, that's, you know, like that's an ASBI thing. Um, but, but we don't say like, oh no, adult education has to only happen in such and such a venue at such and such a time. And anything else you might want to try is no, because that's not what we do here. Um, like we don't, you know, we don't let it hold us back. Um, so I think that's, that's another like really beautiful, beautiful thing that the show has, has going for it. Yeah, I agree. Um, 
Can you share something you're taking with you, like like personally, like something you've learned from your experience of, of the last? I mean, I guess we're always learning, hopefully every day from everyone whom we interact with. That's something that maybe from your um, from your professional role in the shul, something that that it taught you less about, you know, a skill that you've practiced or you know, be able to observe and take part in the behind the scenes running of a shul and sitting on committee meetings, but uh, something about something about yourself or a capacity that um, that has developed in in these two years here? That's a good question. Um, well, this is just kind of a funny answer to that question. There's really so many things I could say um, and so many things that I've learned and grown. I mean, I'm also still in my 20s, which is like a time where you're still learning a lot about yourself and, and growing in a lot of ways. But uh, a funny thing that happened was I've always been an extrovert and I've always known about myself that I'm an extrovert, but I didn't quite realize the power of it until I was in the first trimester of being pregnant with Sai, and I was like quite ill, like all of the time. Um, and it was also the Chagim. So I was in a lot. I was working very, very hard and I I mean, literally, like, threw up in the bushes outside of Shul. I'm so glad you didn't tell me that at the time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was really well. One of the things that happened was that any time that there was a bunch of people around, so even just, like, a committee meeting, but also any time that there was a minion or, you know, Kulmidre or whatever, like, Shul, Tefillah, like, big or small, Kiddush, um, the only time of the week that I could really eat comfortably would be like at Kiddush with a lot of people around because then my like extrovert like hormone emotion whatever it is um like kicked in so much that I felt fine enough to like eat um I I really took advantage of those moments um of of course like talking to people and engaging with people but also like getting in some calories on like right around the Chagin this year but but it's also I mean it's like you you really learn like the extent of your kind of god-given superpowers um and and mine is that like in large crowds I'm I can really like be on and high energy, like no matter what else is going on. Um, and that's something that, that obviously a position like this gives a lot of opportunity for. Um, and, and that's a piece of this, this work that I really love. It's a powerful story. It's a very bad, amusing story, but a powerful story. Uh, can you share, share some, um, some hopes for this community as you leave, like a bracha you want to give to this kihila um, on your, as your last day, um, you know, this professional relationship with the community? I, I think I'm a little bit of a broken record about this, but I've, um, I'm just going to say it again because I so believe in it. And for a community that is so, at its heart, so welcoming and so believes in being warm and open and Jews of any kind or non-Jews or whoever, like you walk into our doors and we love everyone. Um, It's also a community that is in some ways like deeply fractured in the sense that um, a lot along the lines of like age and family, you know, people with a bunch of kids hang out with other people with a bunch of kids and people with no kids hang out with other people and no kids and people with a spouse hang out with other people who have a spouse. Um, and that's normal and natural. And it's helpful to have friends who are in the same life stage as you are, because then it's not weird that all you talk about all day is like your infant's poop color. Um, and like, <laughs> trust me, I get it. <laughs> um, and everyone at the show is so awesome. And there's more to everyone than just their like life stage. And you will be shocked by what you have in common with people who don't share your life stage. Uh, and so my bracha to every individual in the show is, 
if you can find it within yourself to break out of that um, and to walk over and introduce yourself to someone who you've seen a million times, you've seen every Shabbat and you kind of even know their name, but you've never had them for a Shabbat meal or you don't know them that well, you will find that as you know, you're awesome and they're also awesome and you want to hang out with them even though they're in a different life phase from you. And that I think would would increase the warmth of our shul kind of tenfold and and would draw together all the disparate parts of our community in a way that um, would just make the whole place like so much better. <laughs> from from an already amazing place, it would just really, really raise it up to the next level. And I think that would be um, that would be my like number one bracha. And my number two bracha would be if more people could learn how to lane long aliyot. That would be my number two bracha. <laughs> <laughs> Amen, amen. Well, thank you for for those uh, those blessings, and thank you for for being so reflective in, in this conversation. And most importantly, uh, once again, thank you for serving this community uh, with so much energy and talent. I bring all of yourself uh, to the table. Um, what's the metaphor? <laughs> Leaving nothing on the table. Okay, whatever the metaphor. Is. Um, uh, putting 110% effort into every endeavor, bringing so much creativity and so much passion for Torah and for mitzvot and for this community. And uh, uh, I, I'm very grateful that you, um, you know, trusted us with your <laughs> residency. Uh, and uh, I really hope that uh, whatever your future brings you, uh, I, you know, you, you take along a little piece of Anshay Shalom with you and that uh, your memories of what you accomplished here inspire you and give you confidence in uh, future professional endeavors that you take on, uh, and um, I, I'm excited to to hear about the tremendous impact that I'm sure you're going to have on on Klai Israel and uh, for years and decades to come. And I'm looking forward to being in touch with you and uh, remaining your colleague and your friend. Uh, Thank for, you. For many, many and years. if you think you're going to get the last word, you're wrong. So. Um... Uh, I wanted to say to you, um, thank you for just being like such an excellent mentor. I think many of your skills are on display for our congregation um, very frequently. You're an excellent speaker and a caring uh, pastor and um, and just a wonderful kind of manager in, in, in different ways. But but your um, your ability to mentor is actually like really <laughs> unique and special and feeling like I could ask you anything and, and that you would give me honest feedback and help me kind of, on the one hand, encourage me to try out new things and experiment. And on the other hand, kind of steer those experiments towards success. Um, it um, has, that's a, that's a real talent and, um, and, and something that I um, benefited from. So, so much. And, and having someone who, 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 it could be a chavrusa with in, in this work and really be able to say like, okay, this thing just happened. I don't think I did it very well. Like, what do I need to do better next time? And instead of like feeling, you know, bad after those conversations or whatever, I would feel like, okay, now I'm, now I'm like empowered and armed to do better in the future. Um, and that is, uh, that's just, it's rare. It's rare to have someone, um, like that in your life. Um, and I'm, really really sad to in some ways be giving it up though you have not heard the last of me <laughs> and um and I'm just so so grateful to even you know even just the opportunity to kind of watch you do things has been a privilege I, I there are so many times in the last two years where I've said to myself well I'm glad I'm not in charge right now 
<laughs> uh, because he just did that so much better than I would have. And, uh, and your ability to kind of keep it together under so many circumstances um, that, that we've kind of seen, seen over the last two years um, has, has really been inspiring. And I hope to live up to your model um, someday when I'm an adult. Um, <laughs> And and also for your, for your friendship with you and Sarah and Noam and Helen Akiva and Sophie and you know developing with Yonatan. But <laughs> he, last time we we spoke, he really liked my T Rex arms, so we'll, we'll work on that in the future. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so just really thank you all so much. Thank you very much, and looking forward to speaking soon and frequently, and wishing you the best of luck in all your future endeavors. I mean, thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Straw Hat. This is Straw Hat producer Haley Leventhal. I want to thank Robinette Sarna for all of her amazing contributions to this podcast and to ASVI and the whole Anshi Sholm community. I know we'll all miss having her as a Straw Hat co-host, but the podcast will continue. So as always, we'd love to hear your feedback. Please feel free to reach out and let us know what you'd like to hear on the podcast in the future. I hope you all have a wonderful week. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you again in two weeks.